So we're back in the book of Ezekiel today. Uh, so if you want to grab your booklets or your Bibles or whatever, um, we got a ton of ground to cover. We're going to do three chapters. I think today might be the most verses we're doing in Ezekiel. I don't know. It's up there. Um, so let me just open us up uh, with prayer before we jump into the text. Um, so Lord, we're grateful for your word and that we can gather together and be formed by it. And uh, we thank you that your word makes us more like you and uh, sanctifies us and makes us holy. And I pray that today as we read uh, this rather lengthy section that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our souls, um, draw us in close to you through these words. Amen. Amen. Preached at, I preached at a first, as, what are they calling it now? Uh, Trinity first. This morning, I forgot to turn on my timer, so I don't know how long that went. So today, I'm going to do my timer for you guys with the world's longest passage. All right. Um, you ever notice how oh, this was today because I took an hour to get back through the traffic across town, a little more than an hour. You ever notice how when somebody else uses their phone while driving, they're the worst person in the world, and I'm going to kill them, but when I do it, it's just because I have to send a text real quick? <laughs> right? I, uh, you guys know that feeling? What's going on there? Well, it's human nature, and it works like this. Human nature is selfish, and human nature is, is obsessed with lifting me up and knocking other people down. It's about letting me off the hook while at the same time condemning other people, or even not condemning, but just, you know, ah, that guy stinks, right? Um, I'm not mean. I'm just having a bad day, right? That guy, he's mean. I'm not rude. I just forgot to reply to that text. But when he does it to me, or, you know, how dare he? not reply to my text. I'm not cheating on my taxes, I'm just gaming the system. But that guy needs to pay his fair share, right? Uh, this, this human nature within us that kind of colors the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world is kind of the theme today. We're going to take, like I said, one of the longest passages in the book of Ezekiel that we're going to read together. Um, and so let's keep this introduction really simple. The big problem this text will show us is this. Sin the sin within you stains the way that you see the world, okay? The way that you view other people and the way that you view yourself. Sin, being a sinner means that you're looking at the world through like foggy glasses or when I'm riding my motorcycles and uh, it's raining and the, uh, it's this weird uh, tension you have to play with. Like, because if you close the visor all the way on a full face helmet and then you breathe, it it fogs up the inside of the visor. But if you open it, you get hit in the face with the rain. So, I mean, we're kind of like driving through the world with a foggy visor on the motorcycle. We don't see clearly. The people in Ezekiel's day were going through the same kind of thing. They didn't see the world clearly. And the sin in their own hearts was coloring the way that they saw the world. Um, they didn't see history clearly. They didn't see their own present situation clearly. And they didn't believe God's prophets when they told them what the future was going to, all three, past, present, future, all of them. They didn't believe what God said. Or, um, so that's our outline today. We're going to talk about the past and the way that they saw it, and God's going to clear some things up. That's going to be chapter 20. Uh, then we're going to talk about their present rebellion. That's going to be chapter 22. or uh, Yeah, 22. And then we're going to talk about the consequences of that rebellion, and that's going to be the end of 20 and uh, all of 21. So we got three chapters to read, so let's jump in. Dennis has the hardest job today. You ready for this? Get that finger, get that thumb stretched out. All right, so verse 1 of chapter 20. In the seventh year, 
In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, some of Israel's elders came to inquire of the Lord, and they sat down in front of me. So again, Ezekiel gives us these very specific dates. Um, It's been about a year since the temple vision that we read in, what was that, chapters like 9 and 10 right in there? And it says here um, that the elders came to inquire of the Lord. They sat down in front of me. So there, the elders now are trying to hear from the Lord by... Uh, asking Ezekiel, what does God have to say to us? And this happened um, in chapter 14, if you remember. The elders showed up, and they had these little idol statues or something on necklaces. So literally, they're like wearing their idols, and they show up to Ezekiel and say, hey, what does God say to us? And God says, why should I tell you anything <laughs> right, with these idols? You're worshiping these idols. God was pretty mad. I think the same is true here. They come to here. God gives them they, they're looking for a good message. You know what I mean? Is God, what's God up to? What's he going to do? Yahweh, God. And God's message in these three chapters is not great. So he says, oh, you want a message? Okay, here's three long chapters about rebellion. So verse 2. See, we're flying through. Only a couple hundred more to go. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak with the elders of Israel and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. Are you coming to inquire of me? Again, he's mad because of all this idolatry. As I live, I will not let you inquire of me. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Will you pass judgment against them? Will you pass judgment, son of man? Explain the detestable practices of their ancestors to them. So um, just like chapter 14, they come, they show up, and they say, what does the Lord have to say to us? What does Yahweh have to say to us? And God says, I have no interest in helping these elders. I have no interest in helping these guys. These are the guys who led their people in rebellion, which is why you're all in exile. So what God says, though, is instead of giving them some kind of message like they're actually looking for, let me just tell you the story of your people. And then verse 5, he does that. Say to them, this is what the Lord God says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore an oath to the descendants of Jacob, of Jacob's house, and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord your God. So remember chapter 16. Do you remember that section where it was that very long, it's like one of the longest passages, uh, chapters in the Bible, where um, uh, God says, he tells the whole story. I found you by the side of the road, and I chose you, and I raised you up, and we did that whole parable. Um, That was the image, right? Finding this discarded baby and raising her. Uh, That's what he says here, right? Um, I made myself known to you in the land of Egypt. Verse 6, let's keep going. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. I also said to them, throw away each one of you the abhorrent things that you prize and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. I am the Lord, your God. So God says, look, I found you, you were slaves in Egypt, and here's the plan. I'll bring you out of Egypt, and then you guys will be my people. I will be your God. I'll bring you to this beautiful land. Uh, So to us, beautiful land doesn't really matter, right? Because we live on concrete, and we don't grow anything. Anybody here have a farm? That's what I thought, right? We don't have farms. But to them, this is a huge promise, right? These are people who actually have to grow things that they eat. They didn't. This was several years before Safeway. Um, when all this stuff happened. So this promise is huge. I'm going to take you to a land where stuff uh, actually grows, and then you'll be there, and I'll be there, and we'll, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. Seems like a good deal. So of course, the people were great, and they kept that deal, right? No. Uh, but they, re- <laughs> this is, they rebelled against me. Well, not off to a great start, and were unwilling to listen to me. None of them threw away the abhorrent things that they prized, 
They did not abandon the idols of Egypt. So I considered pouring out my wrath on them, exhausting my anger against them with the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations that were living among them, in whose sight I had made myself known to Israel by bringing them out of Egypt. So this is the whole story where God says, you know what, I'm going to destroy the people, worshiping these idols, golden calf, the whole thing. And then Moses prays, and he says, no, 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 don't destroy the, the people, because then everybody's going to say, why would he bring them out of slavery just to destroy them in the desert? And then God goes, okay, sounds good, I'm not going to, I'm going to, relent, but I did it for the sake of my name, verse 10. So nobody would blame me, right? So verse 10, so I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I led them in the wilderness. Then I gave them my statutes and I explained my ordinances to them. The person who does them will live by them. I also gave them my Sabbaths to serve as a sign between me and them so that they would know that I am the Lord who consecrates them. So he says, then I took them out and I gave them a Sabbath. That seems kind of weird unless you understand what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath was a gift, not a burden, right? People will just work ourselves to death. And so God said, hey, why don't you just take some time and think about me and rest, right? It was a gift that he gave the people. Verse 13, so they said, great, thanks for the Sabbath. Now we'll worship you. No, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible uh, is Numbers. That's a really good one. Uh, When they go through... There's a part where they just count everybody. That part is kind of slow. But when you get to the narrative part of Numbers, um, it's a really interesting book where they just constantly, it's the story of the people wandering in the desert. Um, So they rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my statutes and rejected my ordinances. The person who does them will live by them. They also completely profaned my Sabbath. So I considered pouring out my wrath on them in the wilderness and putting an end to them. But I acted again, just like before, for the sake of my name, so that, they, so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. So that's that same thing. Why would I just bring them out and then destroy them? Everybody will go, what kind of God is this? However, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into a land I had given them, the most beautiful of all lands flowing with milk and honey. By the way, I don't like milk or honey, just a heads up. If this was a land flowing with, I don't know, Coke and Tommy's joint, I would be all for it. Anyway, verse 16, but they rejected my ordinances, profaned my Sabbaths, and did not follow my statutes, for their hearts went after idols. Yet I spared them from destruction and did, um, and did not bring them to an end in the wilderness. That's kind of a weird sentence. I spared, their, um, I spared them from destruction, but then I destroyed them all. Um, <laughs> uh, what's, what he's talking about is the people as a people of God were allowed to continue, right? It was the next generation that came took the, um, the land of Israel, or, you know, the land of Canaan in the book of Joshua. Um, man, and here's an interesting thing. When I was a kid, by the way, so they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. When I was a kid, I learned this story in VBS, like all those decorations or something, and I thought, boy, I bet that desert was really far. It took them a really long time to walk that far. And then uh, I read the story of Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph? So he goes to Egypt and then his brothers come to Egypt. It's a long story. Uh, and Joseph goes, well, go get your you know, brother and prove it to me. So they run home and get their brother and come back. And then uh, he's like, now they tell him, I'm Joseph. Oh, 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 go get dad. And then they go get dad and come back. But it's like very, oh, yeah, let me just run home and grab the milk out of the fridge. You know, it, it seems they go back and forth like a whole bunch of times from Egypt to the land of Canaan in the book of Genesis. So it's not that far. So this 40 years was like, driving, you know, walking from here to the Excelsior today, driving and taking over an hour because of the traffic. Oh, boy. 
So it was kind of like that. So God kept the people out of the promised land. Verse 18, then I said to their children in the wilderness, don't follow the statutes of your fathers, defile yourselves with idols or keep their ordinances. I am the Lord, your God, follow my statutes, keep my ordinances and practice them. Keep my Sabbaths holy, and they will be a sign between me and you, so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So he gets the new people, and he says, all right, let's try it again. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Here's the rules. Here's the law. This is the deal. If you follow this, things are going to be great. And it was, right? Watch, click the next slide. Oh, man. The, <laughs> the children rebelled against me. Crap. <laughs> right? They... They did not follow my statutes or carefully keep my ordinances. The person who does them will live by them. They also profaned my Sabbaths. So I considered pouring out my wrath on them and exhausting my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted, this all sounds familiar, right? For the sake of my name, so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations, in whose sight I brought them out. Okay, so the very next generation also rebelled. You know how the next generation rebelled? But weren't they the ones that took Canaan and fulfilled the promise and everything? Well, kind of. They got there, they took a little bit of it, and they went, that's enough. And God said, hey, but I told you, you could have all that over there too. And I want you to go do all this stuff. And I want you to keep going. And the people went, eh. And that's where they stopped. Right? So even that very next generation was a lot like the generation before them. So do you see the pattern? The people rebel. God says, you know what? I'm going to destroy these people. Actually, never mind, because then everyone won't know how gracious I am. And then the next generation comes along, and they rebel and worship idols. And God says, I'm going to destroy these people. Actually, never mind. I'm going to relent. Verse 23, however, I swore to them in the wilderness, I would disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. Um, so God told them in that section we read at the beginning from Deuteronomy at the beginning of Ezekiel, um, here's the deal. If you follow me, you'll get the land. If you don't follow me, you don't get the land. And I'm going to send you out and I'm going to disperse you among the nations. Um, but I'll keep a remnant of you so that the Messiah can still come through these people. Verse 24, for they did not practice my ordinances, but rejected my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances they could not live by. When they sacrificed every firstborn on the fire, I defiled them, uh, I de yeah, defiled them through their gifts in order to devastate them so that they would know that I am the Lord. This is how bad it got. God said, life is precious, and here's all these rules of how to take care of life. And they said, ah, actually, no, we're going to do what the Canaanites did and practice child sacrifice where we burn our babies on open fire and play drums real loud so nobody can hear the kids scream. God goes, I don't like that so much, right? Therefore, this is the history of the people. Verse 27, Therefore, son of man, that's Ezekiel, speak to the house of Israel and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. In this way also your ancestors blasphemed me by committing treachery against me. When I brought them into the land, I swore to give them, and they saw any high hill or leafy tree. They offered sacrifices and presented their offensive offerings there. They also sent up their pleasing aromas and poured out their drink offerings there. So I asked them, what is this high place you go to? And is still called Bama to this day. That's from Alabama, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Are you defiling yourselves the way your ancestors did and prostituting yourselves with their abhorrent things? When you offer gifts, sacrificing your children on fire, you still continue to defile yourself with all your idols to this day. Should I 
So should I let you inquire of me, house of Israel? As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will not let you inquire of me. When you say, let's be like the nations, like the clans of other countries, serving wood and stone, uh, what you have in mind will never happen. So the message to this generation, when they show up with their elders, God, give us a message. Tell us what you're up to. Give us some good news. God says, your ancestors were unfaithful. You've always rebelled against me. And as the people of God, as a community, you are terrible at being the people of God. It's like, what's the, you had one job, you know, it was to be the people of God and you couldn't even do that. You rebel, you break the law of Moses, you sacrifice your kids, you worship idols. Everywhere you go, you're setting up idols and altars and all this stuff. Basically, he says, your ancestors were garbage. And so then the elders probably said to Ezekiel, yeah, but uh, why do I have to pay for their sin, right? What does that have to do with me? I don't know if they really said that because they were less individualistic than we are, but let's pretend, right? I don't know, maybe. So he says, okay, let's take a look at you then. And then we're going to skip over. We're going to jump to chapter 22, and we're going to read about their current rebellion. All right, we got a lot of verses. Well, man, that was a lot of verses we just read. That was a couple of... I got to flip two pages here. Okay, here we go. Flip over to 22. Everybody stretch. Uh, what's that look? That's what they do with preschoolers, you know, when they're reading them a long story. Everybody get up and stretch. Mm. Okay, here we go. Verse 1 of 22. The word of the Lord came to me. As for you, son of man, will you pass judgment? Will you pass judgment against the city of blood? Then explain all of her detestable practices to her. So now this is the charges against the current people of God in Ezekiel's day. I counted 18 things here that God says you suck at. Man, okay. So if you're married, you know, and your wife or husband or whatever sits you down and goes, hon, we need to talk. There's some things we need to talk about. You're thinking, oh, man, I hope it's like just one bad thing. And then she goes, okay, I got 18 things. <laughs> you did something wrong, you know. Okay, this is what we're, we're working with here. So he says, verse 3, you are to say, this is what the Lord God says, a city that sheds blood within her walls so that her time of judgment has come and who makes idols for herself. You are guilty of the blood that you have shed, and you are defiled from the idols that you have made. You have brought your judgment, uh, you have brought your judgment days near and have come uh, to your years of punishment. Therefore, I have made you a disgrace to the nations, a mockery to all the lands. Those who are near and those who are far away from you will mock you, you infamous one of turmoil. Look, every prince within you, right, here's where the charges really get going. The prince within, uh, every prince of Israel within you has used his strength to shed blood. Here's the first charge. Um, from those in power, they used their power to abuse people and hurt them. And they were violent in their abuse of power. Okay, that's one. That's not great, but it gets worse. Uh, verse 7, father and mother are treated with contempt. So the second charge is you're breaking the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. Uh, and res uh, the resident alien is exploited within you. So the next thing is you're treating all the immigrant folks that are with you like garbage. Unlike basically every other ancient culture, the law of Moses had certain rules about how to treat immigrants and sojourners and how to take them in and take care of them. That's the third thing. The fatherless and widow are oppressed in you. So number four is you're oppressing the most helpless per people in your society. 
the bottom of society is, was the orphans and widows. Um, so that was the fourth thing. Fifth, you despise my holy things, which was the whole clean and unclean. We don't, we're not getting into all that today, but basically there was like rules about clean and unclean, and you're not doing it. You profane my Sabbath. That's the sixth thing. They're breaking the, uh, the fourth commandment. There are men within you who slander in order to shed blood. So the seventh is just like the princes. People are abusing others and shedding blood. The eighth, people who live in you eat at the mountain shrines. So we've talked about these mountain shrines before, but they would set up idol worship at the top of mountains because they thought they were closer to the gods. So that's the eighth thing, idol worship. They commit de depraved acts within you. That's probably, that's the ninth thing, is temple prostitution at those mountain shrines. Ten, men within you have sexual intercourse with their father's wife and violate women during their menstrual impurity. So 10 and 11 is they're violating purity laws, sex laws in the Torah. Verse 11, one man with you commits a detestable act with his neighbor's wife. Another defiles his daughter-in-law with depravity. And yet another violates his sister, his father's daughter. So 12, 13, and 14 are all more sexual sin that was prohibited in the Torah. Verse 12 for number 15, people who live in you accept bribes in order to shed blood. So now everybody's crooked and accepting uh, bribes under the table. You take interest, and that's the 15th one, you take interest in profit on loan and brutally extort your neighbors. So 16 is there were strict laws about interest um, and loaning and how you were supposed to do that and who you were allowed to do that with. They're breaking those laws. And then the 17th one is they're extorting their neighbors, which is like abuse for personal gain. And then the last one is you have forgotten me. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You broke the first commandment. Um, in the Ten Commandments, um, Martin Luther said, if you keep the first one, you'll keep the rest of them, right? If you're breaking any of the other commandments, it's because God is not your God, right? And so this is kind of backwards. He ends with, and you did all this because you forgot me, and then he keeps going. So, man, that's a lot of charges, and then he keeps going. Now, Look, I clap, this is a very long section here, here we go. I clap my hands together against the dishonest profit you have made and against the blood shed among you. Well, it's like, um, remember the taunt song? We read that earlier. It's like he's, he's laughing at them and clapping his hands and singing a song about them. Will your courage endure or your hands be strong in the days when I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will act. I will disperse you among the nations and scatter you among the countries. I will purge your uncleanness. You will be profaned in the sight of the nations. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become merely dross to me. Of all, all of them are copper, tin, iron, and lead inside of a furnace. They are dross from silver. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Because all of you have become dross, I am about to gather you into Jerusalem, just as one gathers silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin into the furnace to blow fire on them and melt them. So I will gather you in my anger and wrath and put you inside and melt you. Yes, I will gather you together and blow on you with the, fury, with the fire of my fury, and you will be melted within the city. As silver is melted inside the furnace, so you will be melted inside the city. Then you will know that I... The Lord, I, Yahweh, have poured out my wrath on you. So God is promising them again, because of all your idolatry, because of all this, Babylon is coming for Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to put you in Jerusalem. I'm going to burn it all down. I'm not going to let you get away with this evil and this sin. And then verse 23, the word of the I am of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, say to her, 
You are a land that has not been cleansed, that has not received rain in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets within her is like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, seize wealth and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. This is all stuff we talked about in chapter 13. False prophets who lie for their own personal gain. Her priests do violence uh, to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between the holy and the common. They do not explain the difference between the clean and the unclean. They close their eyes to my Sabbath. Uh, Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. So the priests have this whole book called Leviticus, everybody's favorite book, uh, on how to lead worship in the tabernacle temple kind of system, and they don't care. They're not doing any of it. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing at their prey, shredding blood, uh, sorry, shedding blood, and destroying the lives, destroying lives in order to make a profit, to make profit dishonestly. So now the government officials, they're just like the prophets. They're all corrupt. Her prophets plaster for them with whitewash by seeing false visions and lying divinations, saying, this is what the Lord God says, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy and unlawfully exploited the resident alien. So again, a lot of these charges are about abusing the people who have no power to take care of themselves in society. These are the people with, in this culture who needed help, and they didn't offer that help. And instead of not just not offering help, they're abusing those people. I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. So God says, look, you're doing all this stuff. And I was looking around asking, anybody going to help with this? Anybody going to help? Like the, the image of standing in the wall is like fighting off evil as evil's trying to come. And he's like, I looked around for someone to help me, and I came up empty, verse 31. So I have poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my fury. I have brought their conduct down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. All right, so God says he's going to act. Because in the past, you guys have been rebellious. In the present, you guys are rebellious. Now, what is this going to look like? The consequences, and then we'll talk about grace a little bit, right? So they don't see the past clearly. They don't see the present clearly. And now, uh, what's the future going to look like? Uh, so we're going to jump back now to, yeah, right there, 20, starting in verse 33. And then we're going to read all of 21, too. As I live, wait, let me flip my thing back, sorry. Um, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I will reign over you with a strong hand, an outstretched arm, outpoured wrath. I will bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you were scattered with a strong hand, an outstretched arm, and outpoured wrath. I will lead you in the wilderness of the peoples and enter into the judgment with you there face to face. Just as I entered into judgment with your ancestors in the wilderness... Uh, of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So the first thing he says is, do you remember those guys from the wilderness? Did they get away with this crap? No. So what makes you think you're going to get away with it? Why do you think that I'm going to let this slide with you guys when I didn't let it slide with anybody else from them to you? Verse 37, I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. So basically what he says is, also, this is not unfair. We made a deal. That's the bond of the covenant. Here's, if you follow the law of God, here's what happens. If you don't follow the law of, um, in the Torah, the law of Moses, the covenant that they made, here's what's going to happen. And we're to that point now. You signed the contract. This is what you should expect. So here comes the judgment that you as a people agreed to way back when you stood with Moses and said, yeah, 
we sign, we'll, we'll do this deal. We love this deal. This is a good deal. Uh, wait, that sounded like Trump. This is the best deal. Everybody, make, I make the best deals. No, I'm just, that was an accidental Trumpism. All right, here we go. Keep going. Verse 38. I will purge you. So this is what the judgment's going to look like. I will purge you of those who rebel and transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they live as foreign residents, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Go and serve your idols, each one of you. But afterwards, you will surely listen to me, and you will no longer defile my holy name with your gifts and idols. For on my holy mountain, Israel's high mountain, the declaration of the Lord God... There, the entire house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and I will require your contributions and choicest gifts, all of your holy offerings. When I bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered, I will accept you as a pleasing aroma, and I will demonstrate uh, my holiness through you in the sight of the nations. When I lead you into the land of Israel, the land I swore to give your ancestors, you will know that I am the Lord." You see this in the middle of all this pictures of fire and judgment. There's hints of grace. But I'm gonna, you're going to go to exile, but I'm going to bring you back. And when you do, I'm going to accept you again as a people. There you will remember your ways and all your deeds by which you have defiled yourself, and you will loathe yourselves for all the evil things that you have done. So uh, this is the heart of repentance. First, you have to, you'll loathe yourself. For, you'll get back to the land, and you'll realize how bad you were as a people. And then verse 44. You will know that I am the I am, the house of Israel, when I have dealt with you for the sake of my name rather than according to your evil ways and corrupt acts. This is the declaration of the Lord God. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, face south and preach against it. Prophesy uh, against the forest land of Negev. And say to the forest there, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. I am about to ignite a fire in you, and it will devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. The blazing flame will not be extinguished, and every face from the south to the north will be scorched by it. Then all humanity will see that I, Yahweh, I and the I am, have kindled it. It will not be extinguished. And then I said, so God is telling this all to Ezekiel. And then Ezekiel busts out, O oh Lord God, they are saying of me, isn't he just composing parables? So he's giving them this fire, this judgment, of, as, this picture of fire as judgment, and he's telling this to the people. And then Ezekiel goes, God, they're not going to believe any of this. They think I'm just telling stories and I'm being silly. Um, and uh, so he keeps going, though. Look at verse, so look at how he continues, though, in uh, chapter 21. Right, wait, chapter 21 is the... Well, it's still 32. All right, here we go. Everybody stretch. Uh, this is how I do my exercise, my Homer Simpson exercises in the morning. All right, here we go. The word of the Lord came to me again. Son of man, face Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel and say to it, this is what the Lord God says. I am against you. I will draw my sword from its sheath and cut off from you both the righteous and the wicked. Since I will cut off both the righteous and the wicked, my sword will therefore come out of its sheath against all humanity from the south to the north. So all humanity will know that I, the Lord, have taken my sword from its sheath. It will not be sheathed again. So the image now switches from fire to swords, right? This is why we have the sword up front today. I plan this. Uh, verse 6, but you, son of man, groan, groan bitterly with a broken heart right before their eyes. So again, Ezekiel, go be very dramatic. Get out there and make a scene. Uh, you know, really ham it up like heaven does whenever anything happens. Uh, and they will ask you, what, why are you groaning? 
And they will say, because I need a snack. No, that's what heaven says. Uh, they will say, because the news that is coming, every heart will melt and every hand will become weak. Every spirit will be discouraged and all the knees will run with urine. Everybody has that verse tattooed, right? Uh, yes, it's coming and it will happen. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So again, more dramatic teaching from Israel. Groan real loud. And when they ask you what you're doing, say, this judgment is really going to happen and I'm bummed out. Um, and it's going to be so bad that uh, everybody's going to be discouraged and you're all going to wet your pants. This is the word. Anyway, okay. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man. Sorry. Uh, prophesy. This is what the Lord says. You are to proclaim a sword. A sword is sharpened and also polished. It is sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Should we rejoice, the scepter of my son, the sword despises every tree. The sword is given to be polished, to be grasped uh, in the hand. It is sharpened and polished to be put in the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of Israel. They are given over to the sword with my people. Therefore, strike your thigh in grief. Surely it will be a trial, and what if the sword despises even the scepter? The scepter will not continue. This is the declaration of the Lord. So repetition is a huge key in Hebrew prophecy. Um, and it's like, I don't know, you stink like rotten sandwiches that were left in a lunchbox. That's the first line. And then the second line is, your smell is not lovely. <laughs> or it's like you say the same thing in two different ways to try to hit somebody from two different angles. That's what's going on here. So much of this is repetitive because God is saying, I'm going to get you with fire. I'm going to get you with sword. And I'm going to get you with fire. And guess what else I'm going to get you with? Sword. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to get some fire and I'm going to get you. It's like it's, he's just saying it over and over again. So you, verse 14, son of man, prophesy and clap your hands together. Let the sword strike two times, even three. It is a sword for massacre, <coughs> a sword for great massacre. It surrounds them. I have appointed a sword for slaughter at all their gates so that their hearts may melt and many may stumble. Yes, it is ready to flash like lightning. It is drawn for the slaughter. Slash it to the right. So he's, now he's supposed to take a sword and do this whole thing. Turn to the left, wherever your blade is directed. I will also clap my hands together and satisfy my wrath. I, Yahweh, have spoken. So again, more sword imagery. The word of the Lord came to me. So here we go again. Now you, son of man, mark out two roads that the sword of Babylon's king can take. Both of them should originate from the same land and make a signpost at the fork in the road of each city. Mark out the road that the sword can take to Rabbah of Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah into fortified Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon stands at the split road at the fork in the two roads. To practice divination, he shakes arrows, consults the idols, and observes the liver. And the answer marked Jerusalem appears in his right hand, indicating that he should set up battering rams, give the order to slaughter, raise a battle cry, and set battering rams against the gates. Um, <coughs> sorry, build a ramp and construct a siege wall. It will seem like a false divination to those who have sworn an oath to the Babylonians, but it will draw attention to their guilt so that they will be captured. So this is what he says. Let me, give, let me tell you what happens here. He says, now gather all the elders around and get out your phone. Okay. And then open up Google Maps, not Apple Maps. We actually want to get there. And then type in Jerusalem and then do directions. And when it says from your current location, put, yeah, Babylon. And then everybody, and then look at the route and show everybody and then show them the phone and scream at them, do you idiots get it now? Somebody's going from Babylon to Jerusalem. The king, this is the route that the king is going to use. 
Verse 24, therefore, this is what the Lord God says, because you have drawn attention to your guilt, exposing your transgressions so that your sins are revealed uh, in all your actions. Since you have done this, you will be captured by them. Uh, and you profane the wicked prince, uh, and you profane and wicked prince of Israel. The day has come for your punishment. This is what the Lord God says. Remove the turban, take off the crown. Things will not remain as they are. Exalt the lowly and bring down the exalted. A ruin, a ruin, I will make a ruin. Yet this will not happen until he comes. I have given the judgment to him. So he, now it's a Zedekiah, the puppet king that stinks, that Ezekiel really doesn't like. This is like the 50th time now Ezekiel said, and by the way, they're going to get you specifically, Zedekiah. Now you, son of man, all right, we're almost there. You guys ready? And now you, son of man, prophesy and say, this is what the Lord God says concerning the Ammonites and their contempt. You are to proclaim a sword. A sword is drawn for slaughter, polished to consume, to flash like lightning. We're going to get into this later, but as God judges his own people, this book is filled with judgment also for the nations around them who watch Israel and uh, Jerusalem get judged and they all laugh and taunt Jerusalem. And God says, hold on, you're next, right? That's what he's doing right here. Um, and then the last section, okay, a couple more verses. While they offer false visions and lying divinations about you, the time has come to put uh, to the next the profane of the wicked ones. The day has come for final punishment. Return it to its sheath. I will judge you in the place where you were created, in the land of your origin. I will pour out my indignation on you. I will blow fire. I will blow the fire of my fury on you. I will hand you over like brutal men skilled at destruction. You will be fuel for the fire. Your blood will be spilled within the land. You will not be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. Three chapters, right? We got through it. Look at what we just read, though. Was that an easy read? Can you see why I did that in one week instead of four weeks of the same thing over and over again, though? Sword, fire, lightning, spilling blood. These were all very scary things in the ancient world, and these are the images God uses. He says... Wrapping up, you as a community, you've always been rebellious. That's, what, that's the first part. I'm giving you the recap here. And then they go, yeah, okay, but that was our ancestors. Why am I in exile? Why am I being punished? And God says, well, you're just as bad, maybe even worse. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow through on finishing this exile, and I'm going to pour out my wrath so that eventually you as a people will come back to me. You'll be cleansed of your sin and your idolatry. That same attitude that these guys have is still around. Sin, like I said at the beginning, it stains how we see the world and how we look at history. We all think, okay, and I'm about to offend everybody, okay? It only works if you offend everybody. We all think that we're the ones that have the world figure out, figured out. Almost everybody thinks that. We're all very cocky people. Uh, and we're the ones... <laughs> Our natural self will tell us, most people, not in every case, but our natural selves tell us, you're the one that sin didn't really get that bad, right? You're the one who kind of figured it out. And I've noticed something over the last few years, and uh, okay, you ready for some sweeping generalizations? I don't want an email that says this, I'm a conservative or a liberal and I don't think like this, but let me give you some sweeping generalizations from reading the news. Uh, conservatives, like just talking about how we see the world. Conservatives in our culture tend to look at the world and look at history and go, it wasn't that bad. And then liberals tend to look at history and go, yeah, it was terrible. But if I was there, I would have been the good one. Right? I would have been the one that figured it out. And both of these perspectives don't take sin nature into account. 
right? To the conservatives who think history wasn't that bad, yeah, it was, right? Like, who was that guy, Jordan something from The Daily Show? He went around to a Trump rally and he started asking people just, hey, when was America great for African Americans? And it was brutal, right? It just, make America great is looking at his, and I, I don't really get political in sermons, so don't take this all politically, all right? Uh, but um, it's kind of just looking at history through rose-colored glasses. Now, I love this country. I'm glad I was born here. There are a lot of great things about this country, but let's not pretend that sin hasn't played a huge part in our history. All of human history is the history of sin, oppression, slavery, abuse, idolatry, lust, greed, malice, dishonesty. All of these things pop up in the history of the United States. The Bible calls those kind of countries that do this sort of stuff, what does it call it? Babylon, right? We're not exempt from this. I, I still think it's a pretty great place to live, and there's a lot of positive things about America. Um, but it, it, our history is just like every other country. Human history is the history of war and violence and sin and rebellion. But the trick, the, part of the trick with sin is it likes to hide itself. And so to look at history and go, it wasn't that bad, is the sin nature within us, right, sort of burying the sin in others in our, our own history. So let's not look back and pretend like our history is great and everything was peachy keen, but let's also not do the flip, which is more liberal people tend to look back at history and think, like, I would have been the good one. We look back with, like, an arrogant, like liberal folks, look back with an arrogance, like this righteous arrogance. Um, who's that guy? I wrote it down here. Um, Bill Maher. You know that guy? He's like an HBO show. I, he calls himself a classic liberal, right? I don't know if you know him. Anyway, I remember him. He was a very popular, uh, like, anti-war guy in 2003, you know, on HBO. Anyway, um, you guys weren't even born yet. All right. Uh, <laughs> so talking about that show, um, sorry, about that song, um, John Lennon, that song Revolution, about, anyway, this is what Bill Maher said. He said, there's a guy, there's a guy who understood how good intentions can turn in, into the insane arrogance of thinking that your revolution is so... I'm going to cut some words out here, is so awesome and your generation is so mind-bendingly improved that you have bequeathed the world with a new kind of human. Basically, what he's saying is a lot of these kids that think that song Revolution, which I think is actually about the dangers of like these kind of revolutions, but people, it's like become the theme song of we're going to turn the world upside down and um, we're the ones who finally figured out humanity. I'm the one who finally did it. And it looks back these folks look back at history just like these guys and said, yeah, that was them. But me, I would have been better if I was there. I wouldn't have owned slaves when everybody in the world who could afford one did. I wouldn't have been goose-stepping in the streets of Berlin. I wouldn't have gone to see the gladiators. I never would have had two wives. You know, all these different things. We look back now and go, that was terrible, right? I wouldn't have fill in the blank, whatever it was. That attitude kind of ignores two big ideas, though. You're a sinner with a sin nature, and your sin runs deeper than you really understand. And the second thing is sinners are shaped by the culture around them, and cultures are like Babylon. And so we have people with sin natures, and they're shaped by Babylon. And so what do we expect to see in the world is people who are sinners, shaped by a sinful culture, acting like a bunch of sinners who were shaped by a sinful culture. That's the history of the world, that's the present, and that's going to be the future. And so um, let me just clarify one thing real quick, too. Like, uh, when we talk about sin nature, I want to clarify like what I mean by this. Your sin nature is this. You, didn't, you weren't born with a clean slate, and then one day you lied to your parents, and then all of a sudden you were washed over and you became a sinner. No, no, no. You lied to your parents because you were born a sinner. 
Right? You were born with like a brokenness. Adam sinned and he passed that down to all of humanity. Your ancestors, sinners. Your grandma, oh, Nana, sinner. <laughs> right? Your parents, sinners. You, guess what? You have a sin nature. And that sin is all over you. Spurgeon, Chuck said this. Uh, let's see, I have, here we go. He said, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It's so sadly there, so abundantly there, that you cannot detect it. If you cannot detect it, you are deceived. Right? When you look at history and go, it wasn't that sinful, it wasn't that bad, that's the sin within you lying to you. If you look at history and go, man, I'm way better than those guys, that's also the sin within you lying to you. Um, right? Because all of, we're all sinners. So what's the solution? What's the way out? How do we get out of this mess? This is what Abe Lincoln said. You guys know him? I think he's on one of the dollar bills or something. Uh, you want to hear my favorite joke? Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Too soon? It's been 170 years or whatever. All right. <laughs> That's a good one. When I was a kid, I thought that was the funniest joke I ever heard. Anyway, Abe Lincoln said this. Human action cannot, uh, can be modified to some extent, but human nature cannot be changed. Right? So... This is, what, this is what he thinks. Human action can, uh, but human nature cannot be changed at all. We're just stuck like this. Well, it turns out honest Abe is not so, no, he's wrong. Human nature can be changed. That's the gospel, right? The gospel is that there's a way out. But the power, though, the problem is it's not within us. You don't have the power to get out of this cycle of sin. We don't have that within us. Chuck, again, back to Spurgeon, he said this, the power that is to fight and overcome sin, is never described in the word of God as a natural goodness of human nature. The Bible never says do a little bit better and then you'll be rid of sin. That's, it's, that's not the gospel. That is a burden that will absolutely crush you, right? And so what does the Bible say from the New City Catechism? Is there a way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Like, how do we get out of this mess? Yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin, how? By a redeemer. Your sin deserves the fire, the sword, the lightning, the wrath, the judgment, all the stuff that we read in like 700 verses in our passage today, rounding to the nearest 700. And uh, your sin deserves everything that God can throw at it. But instead, to satisfy his justice and redeem us at the same time, Jesus took on all that sin at the cross. And um, with that redemption, so when you're redeemed, though, he doesn't just redeem you and say, now get out there. He redeems you, and he gives you something else. He changes you. Uh, Ian Murray said this, God never forgives sin without at the same time changing the nature of the sinner. You see, he forgives you, and then he also changes you. You were born in Babylon. You were born in a sin nature. You were born as a wicked, awful, horrible rebel against God. And then when you're born again, you get a new place to live. He's moving you from Babylon into his kingdom. And so as followers of Jesus, we live in this tension. We're given a new heart, but we haven't completely done away with the sin nature. We're citizens of heaven, but we walk out the doors today and we still live in Babylon. We're promised a victory against the sin in our lives, but we're still fighting the war. And so what do we do? We get up and we battle. We wake up every day and we look forward to who God says that we're eventually going to become, who we're going to be in eternity. And then through prayer, worship, scripture, community, the power of the spirit, all the regular things of the Christian life, 
We try to enter into that reality. Because the truth is, we're not Babylon people anymore. Right? God, so, uh, okay, here, best sermon illustration of all time. You ready for this? Back to my motorcycle thing. I just thought of this right now. So I said, you know, you got the fog on the glasses. Okay, you know what my gloves have on it? On the side of the right glove, no, the left glove, because you do the throttle. It's on the left glove is a squeegee. And you do this, right? That's what the gospel does. You get a new heart, a new life, and you've got this fog between you and the world. You don't get to see things clearly. And then God comes along with the gospel, and he says, actually, I'm going to make you a new person. And he takes the squeegee on the motorcycle glove, and he wipes the visor. That makes sense. Get a, don't send me emails. Like I said, we're not Babylon people anymore. Let's see, how do we end this? Oh, yeah, here we go. Our history is Babylon. That's where we came from. Our present is war with sin because we were made, uh, we've been made children of God. And our future, though, is the completely clear. So even when you use a squeegee, if I'm being honest, there's still a bunch of crap on the motorcycle visor. But eventually, we're going to be in the sunshine. The visor is going to be clear. We're going to see the world clearly. And so what we do now is while we're here, we try to live into that reality. Right? All right, that's uh, my time.